0: Thank you for tuning in to the Live After GDPR podcast, where we discuss digital marketing in a post-GDPR world. I'm your host, Rick Drunkers, and in today's episode, I get to interview Corey Underwood, an analytics engineer at Search Discovery, who knows everything about privacy-enhancing browser techniques and the effect of privacy legislature on digital marketing. We'll cover the basics of browser technology, like Safari's intelligent tracking prevention, the changes that Google has announced for Google Chrome. The impact of Apple's tracking transparency framework on iOS tracking for advertisers. The importance of a first party data strategy for advertisers that want to stay successful going forward and much more. Before we start this episode, I want to thank everybody for all the positive feedback and support we got after our first two episodes. We've already reached way more people than I imagined when we had the idea for this podcast just a couple of weeks ago. One of the main challenges will be to keep this podcast interesting to you. And for that, I need your help. If you can think of any interesting guests to invite or topics to discuss, please feel free to let me know. You can reach me via email on rick at lifeaftergdpr.eu. Also, please join the discussion on Twitter and LinkedIn by following me and the Life After GDPR accounts, all linked in the description below. Now let's dive in with Corey Underwood. Corey Underwood, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for joining me. I would like to ask you if you have to describe yourself to others,
1: what is it that you do for a living? Sure. So I'm an analytics engineer for search discovery. I've been there about two years. Uh, in addition to tagging implementation and analytics support, I tend to specialize in data privacy regulation and what the technical changes might mean for data collection purposes. Um. In my previous company, I became responsible for analytics and tagging support after the previous person retired. Um, and that's when I started paying more attention to like all the things that, cause if I'm responsible for data quality, I should be aware of all of the things that impact that. Um, and there was around shortly after that, that intelligent tracking prevention two released and that changed how cookies get set which had a dramatic impact on tagging. And so I started having to like wave the flag saying, Hey, for the segment of traffic, that's probably not going to be accurate. And this is why, and then those those changes did not stop and continue to escalate. I just had to wave the flag more often. And so that's now what I do. (laughs)
0: You're known for waving the flag, especially in measure slack, I think in the last two podcasts, every podcast we've, we've, we've mentioned Measureslack so far, so I guess we can mention it in this one as well. It's also where you are uh, very active and where you share your knowledge. Uh, and a lot is, a lot of it is about waving the flag about new, uh, new browser updates and, uh, and their impact. Um, so you could actually say you, you inherited it from, uh, from your predecessor and then, uh, you, you jumped in at the right moment when it, when it got interesting. Uh, pretty much. Yeah. Cool. Um, so for listeners that, well, let's assume that the listeners to this, this podcast have like an affinity with digital marketing, but for listeners that have heard of ITP, but are not really sure of what is ITP, could you give like a basic explanation of what ITP is and, and perhaps ETP and and, and how the
1: other browsers handle this and why it is important to us? Sure. So I'll, I'll just run down the list. So for. WebKit based browsers. And so that is Safari on desktop, but also every browser on iOS and iPad. WebKit is the underlying rendering engine that powers those browsers. Those browsers are subject to what's known as ITP or intelligent tracking prevention, and that's a series of protocols introduced by Apple that hinder data collection in that it makes it difficult for Third parties of which the website may not be aware to collect data long term and hinder efforts to profile the user between sessions. And the way it does that is a, there's a couple of different features. One is it determines if the cookie gets set by JavaScript, and if so, it limits its max duration to seven days. It also looks at the DNS records for the request and then the case of what's known as a canonical name record if that destination is not related to the first party domain that the client is visiting then that cookie regardless of how it gets set is limited to seven days then there's additional restrictions for local storage being systematically purged very at various points And some of those seven day timers drop down to 24 hours, depending on if the user came from a domain that's known to be tracking. So there's all kinds of different mechanics there. But the net result is that the ID or IDs that would typically be persisted across session for any analytics or attribution purpose, periodically get reset because they're deleted by the browser. After a period of time. And so for brands that are trying to do attribution across a larger time frame, that becomes problematic. And you're probably seeing paid media reflected as a lower contribution and direct as a higher contribution, but it also has a couple of other impacts. So for example, if you reset the Google client ID, because the GA cookie gets reset that's gonna cause the following visit to re-identify the person as a new user, which means your new users might be inflated, your returning cohort might be deflated. But if you're making decisions based off that data, you might end up making the wrong choice for what you believe is the right reason. So like say your new users are elevated and so you pull back on spending on trying to acquire new users because you're trying to shore up retention, But you don't realize that a large portion of the new users are actually returning visitors then potentially you're going to make the wrong choice in that you're going to see new user growth slow dramatically but not actually change retention very often yeah if i summarize that
0: then we could say that these technological changes for whatever reason they're, they're, they're being applied. We can get to that later, but what they're affecting when it comes to MarTech and ad tech is they're influencing the way we can measure users across multiple sessions. And thus they are influencing the way we analyze behavior of returning users, new users, but also the way we can attribute conversions to marketing campaigns. Because all that is tied usually to a user identifier and that user identifier is. Under fire by these, by these browser techniques like ITP. Correct. So, so that's a, case. that's a big thing for
1: marketeers. <laughs> yes, indeed. So for Firefox, well, it has a dramatically less of a market share. Firefox has what's known as an enhanced tracking protection and so In Safari, while Safari blocks third-party cookies, it allows first-party data to to move between platforms because it just figures that the relative harm is limited by the duration being limited. Firefox, when the cookies get, when the request goes to a tracking domain as identified by the disconnect me list, it will actually prevent the JavaScript from accessing the cookie or local storage information. And so none of that's appended to the request. Um it also will outright block, like as in cause the network call that loads the JavaScript to fail anything that it's identified as a fingerprinting vendor. So for that market segment, none of that is being captured for Firefox. Now, for brands, Firefox has a low market share, so it might not be as influential. But it's just important to realize that this is happening there as well. Yeah. For edge, which is the default browser for windows, it copies Firefox in a lot of respects in that it loads the disconnect me and other ad blocking list to determine what requests will be able to access storage. And so if you're actually open the developer console and you have like the warnings enabled and you go to a site, you'll see like tracking URL and it lists the URL has been denied access to storage for blocking reasons. Because the default configuration of Edge runs in balanced mode and it does these things. The Edge is a little bit trickier than Firefox where Firefox, like that is how it's gonna run. Edge has an invisible to the user and invisible to the website score that, gets increased as the user engages with the website and once that reaches the invisible threshold of 4.2 all the tracking starts working but it's a decaying score so if the user goes on vacation they come back their score is going to be a little bit lower than when they left and if it drops back below that threshold all your tracking breaks again
0: that's interesting so they're actually trying to to create a model where They assume that if you interact a lot with this website, you're probably going to be okay with being tracked. But if you just visit the website once, then probably not. And then they have their own mechanism of how to measure that. So I want to highlight two things. So you mentioned uh, disconnect.me and if I'm correct, disconnect.me is a, just a list of domains that are being listed as trackers, but
1: who, who maintains that list? The disconnect, GitHub repo. It's a okay. they, yeah, they, it's actually on GitHub. You can see the whole, the whole list.
0: Okay. But that's just basically a list that other, that, that software uses to highlight this domain is known as a tracker domain. So yep. probably googleanalytics.com will be highlighted there as a tracker.
1: Right. But depending on the browser, different aspects of that could be affected. So like. Um, I think Firefox flags media math as a fingerprinter, So it just outright blocks that, but like the different browsers have different classifications. So some stuff, if it could be harmful, it will be more aggressive. Whereas if it's probably not, it won't be as restrictive.
0: Yeah. Gotcha. I think, I think it's just interesting and important to highlight that there is this list that is being used in these technologies to determine what to block and what not to block It's it, it, you know, it's a fairly manual situation. And I think what we've also seen in the past is that, um, fingerprinting companies and, and more obscure trackers claiming lots of different domain names, trying to bypass ad blocker lists and stuff like that. So it's a, that's a weird cat and mouse game dynamic that's going on there. Right, so
1: for Edge and Firefox, they I know they both use disconnect disconnect list. I think Edge might use a different list as well and like combine them. Uh, Safari actually has a machine learning algorithm because it recognizes that lists get outdated, and so as the user browses the web, if it starts seeing a domain name across multiple websites, after it reaches some internal threshold, Safari or WebKit will actually classify that as a tracker. So yeah. when you start seeing like the same domain in third-party context all the time, like Safari gets a little bit suspicious and is like, Hmm. Yeah. And so if you actually turn on intelligence tracking prevention's debug mode, you'll see like a list of all the domains that your specific instance has classified. And that will be different than somebody else's cause it's related to what you visit. Yeah. Gotcha. So. We're
0: seeing this evolving technology, ITP version. What version
1: are we at right now? I think we're on a 2.4 last I checked because the latest changes did not increment the major version number. Okay. So it's a, it's an evolving field. And
0: then I think Safari was first to push it, other browsers followed. Now also Chrome is going to do something, correct?
1: They reached an agreement with the United Kingdom's CMA, uh, so Competition and Markets Authority, over their plan. And that's not the execution of the plan or even what the plan is. That's their how they're going to roll out whatever they come up with. So all we know right now is in 2023, they plan to phase out third-party cookies. And there, so that gets a lot of play in the industry. But what a lot of people fail to understand is that third-party cookies don't work in WebKit. They're restricted in Firefox, they're restricted in Edge, and they're restricted on anybody using a Chrome browser with an ad blocker. So effectively, remarketing is only really viable for Chrome for desktop and Android.
0: And I think one additional thing is restricting third-party cookies does not hurt Google as much as it, as it hurts other advertising players, correct?
1: That is correct because Google still has you logged into Chrome probably. That's
0: a big one where I personally, when I read that, I feel like, okay, maybe in this case, regulation is playing in the hand of Google instead of against it.
1: What are your thoughts on that? Potentially. So as all of these changes have gone into effect, it's been the people that own operating systems or major platforms that have really benefited and companies that are more reliant on said major platforms that have been more adversely impacted just because they're like, they can't get the data on their own necessarily, or even if they could, they don't have the infrastructure to process it in place. So you can shift to a first party strategy, but unless you have a way of processing that first party data, you're still probably going to be limited. So, so let's, let's double click on that. I think, uh,
0: a lot of people have been reading up on this a little bit. One of, one of the pieces of advice they will get in every blog post is you have to think of your first party data strategy. So what do people mean when they, when, when they mention a first party data strategy?
1: That would be information that you can either directly observe on your own, pa- on your own part, or that the client has provided to you. So the user has said, this is my address, like. You can take that at a higher degree of fidelity than potentially like a third party data platform. And it's because a lot of the third party platforms that have built up these huge user profiles over time using anonymous third party cookies, they're just not getting that data as they used to. And so a lot more of that's becoming modeled. And then you have to figure out, is the model actually correct? And because they're not going to tell you how the model works, it's kind of black box and so they have to be like, trust me. So your risk tolerance to that will vary dramatically between organizations, but the most trustworthy information is probably what the, what the client is telling you directly, like the, the consumer. Um, that does mean though, that as we're seeing the anonymous IDs fade out with the reduction of third party cookies and stuff. Folks are going to have to find another way of doing retargeting and things, probably based off like customer match lists. And that means that the user will have had to A, provide you that information, but also have to, it to have it used for remarketing in that way. And so we're, we're probably going to see is a reduction in reach. Now, especially now that like the Belgian DPA ruled that the transparency and consent framework by IAB Europe was like unlawful. And if you can't use legitimate interest for data collection, then you actually need to prompt. And if the person actually has to accept, what is the likelihood they're going to do that?
0: Yeah, exactly. Because when you say customer match, what you're referring to is, let's say I have a web shop and people, people buy with me, perhaps at the moment of transaction, I would have to ask them like, Hey, I, I now get your email address, which is fine, but I'm also going to use that email address to send it to Google to match you or send it to Facebook to match you based on your email address um, and retarget you, for instance, like that will be a, an instance of, of customer match based on first party data.
1: Uh, and so that's kind of what you're seeing with the enhanced conversions being pushed by Google ads right now. Like they want you correct. to send you the email address or like all of the address information so they can do a match and effectively yeah. target later.
0: Yeah. So they want. Basically, they want all the information, right? I'm using email address because usually that's that's uh, that's the leading one that you have online. But they have fields for everything, right? They will accept all you can give them. Um, but yeah, the, the the caveat is of course that if you do not have proper consent for that, then it is probably not uh, not GDPR compliant. We're not we're not giving any legal advice, but I think it's fair to say that without consent, that's probably not uh, not the way uh, you should play this game. Um, but that's a, that's a big challenge. That's a big, a big step, a big change for a lot of marketing departments. Are you already seeing that as well for clients
1: that you work with, this change, this switch? Definitely, we've been chatting about it. Um, and then I want to walk back just a second and say, even if they did consent, you have to think about a couple of other things. A user can consent, but that doesn't mean that the browser they're using will let you actually do the thing they consented to. So you need to be aware of that. So like, just cause I'm in Safari and I can send to remarketing does not mean that you can place remarketing cookies, which are third party on my browser because the browser will say no. Yes. So there's that. Then you have to recognize that for all the email based tech changes rolled out over the last couple of years, enable a user to generate an email address on the fly for a specific purpose yeah. and so you prob like if you're the only one that knows of that email address there will never be a match
0: yeah so that's like for instance apple's hide my email technology where where it just generates a unique email address for every email field gets forwarded to you and it's also a nice way to uh, to figure out who leaked your email address if you only use that email address at, at one specific vendor and it shows up on some spam list, then uh, you can be pretty sure where, where that email address got
1: leaked. Indeed. So you need to understand that just cause the user tells you something does not make it true.
0: So I guess for, for digital marketers that are listening to this and that have experienced the effectiveness of the web pixel, let's call it pre-ITP, let's call it, the, remarketing pixels, digital marketing pixels, pre all these prevention mechanisms. It feels like their favorite toy is being taken away. Is that's a little bit my experience when talking to digital marketers and seeing, seeing their reaction. Any thoughts on that? It's probably true.
1: They probably do feel that way. I wouldn't be surprised. Um, with that said, I am skeptical. A lot of those marketing agencies were using that to its fullest effect. And so I wonder how detrimental it actually is to specific brands. So if we if a company's doing a lot of remarketing, I could see that as being more adverse to them. If a company hasn't done a lot of remarketing in the past, then these changes well problematic from a data analytics perspective probably don't matter as much from a marketing angle. Um, Marketers in general, though, probably need to be aware that between all the regulation being put into place and the technical changes being imposed by the different platforms, their reach and targeting capacity is going to change very likely dramatically over the next two years. And they should definitely be keeping up to date on this because that's going to transform how they have to do their job.
0: Yeah. Well, it's one of the reasons why, why this podcast came to life to, to figure out how to, uh, how to handle this both from a legal and from a technical uh, perspective. Um, so let's switch gears a little bit. What are the steps that, that a company can take to mitigate the effects?
1: So. The way that you would technically mitigate them is going to be different than what you might need to do from a regulatory perspective. So if you actually read the terms of all of the different platforms that are like, Hey, do this, send us this information. They all say that you need to comply with like regional regulation and that you accept all liability for failing to do so. So yeah, important note. Yeah, so. For like an analytics platform could you send a different id in yeah i mean adobe just announced that they're supporting bring your own id that does mean that you need to have all the proper consents in place in order to send them that id but i mean at least they're building out that service right i mean on other aspects you're seeing and this is good for a number of reasons but you're seeing the rise of like server side tag management and that allows the company to be more in control of what is actually sent to the end destination. And it actually has performance and security benefits on the front end. It's a little bit problematic for people who like to audit websites because you don't necessarily know what's going where, but those are, those are two different ways that we're seeing the industry shift. We're also seeing different vendors create server-side data collection endpoints to support those things. So like Facebook is urging people to leverage its conversion API in order to properly attribute Facebook ad conversion, right? So they essentially need you to do that so they can prove to you that they're providing value from you running the ads.
0: I think that's an interesting one to zoom in on, the the Facebook conversion API, because it's probably the right now, the most well-known server-side uh, conversion API out there. So could you, could you walk us through like what it is doing and how it would, how it works from a technical perspective compared to like the web pixel that they would have before that on the, on a
1: website? Sure. So it actually works in conjunction with the web pixel, but it is a secondary hit that gets sent. To a server endpoint owned by Google.
0: Small correction. Corey meant to say, owned by Facebook.
1: That contains the majority of the same data. Well, theoretically, all of the same data as the client side hit. Um, And in the event that it gets two hits with the same event number, it will discard the client side hit and use the server side hit. And it wants to do it because it understands that different browsers and ad blockers may prevent the client side pixel from reaching Facebook. And so if you route that through your own infrastructure with a server side hit, it still might be able to properly attribute that it drove, at least in part, that transaction.
0: Yeah. So where you started out with that Safari might be uh, classifying uh, something as uh unwanted and not even sending the hit there. So in this case to, to the Facebook to Facebook.com. Um by implementing the Facebook conversion API via server side tag manager, you're actually having like a sort of a backup, a fallback for that pixel to still arrive at Facebook. Um so you're basically
1: circumventing ITP in that case. Right. You're They want to do it and they they don't come out and say like, Hey, we're going to bypass that. Because I mean, that would not work well for them, but they want to do it to ensure that they properly can attribute conversion information in scenarios where conversion information may not be present.
0: Yeah. And then as a additional layer, you can also send them more information than what you would normally perhaps even send with the web pixel. So let's say for a transaction, you could. Additionally, send out the email address and, 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 and the first name, last name and whatever kind of information you have on the, on the user.
1: Right. Because the server side pixel has all the information to the, cl- that the client sides pixel has plus whatever else the server wants to give it.
0: Yeah. So it opens up a whole box of potential potentially even more privacy infringing technology but yeah it's always you know it's it's a tool and depending on how you use it uh yeah that that's up to that's up to the person
1: who decides uh, to implement it correct um does it's there does not mean that you need to use it that is the defense that google has been using <laughs> Yeah, there's, there's something to be said for that. I think they, they
0: create the tool and eventually everybody has to, has to take their own responsibility on how they implement it, but we'll see, we'll see how that plays out, uh, in the future.
1: Steamo actually had a good analogy. It's kind of like, we don't outlaw kitchen knives just cause they could be used to stab people.
0: Yeah. 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 Well, and uh, yeah, with the recent ruling of, uh, of the French DPA where they are actually targeting, uh the company that is using Google analytics and not necessarily Google. Yeah. that Will probably make people think twice about how they, how they configure their tools. So when looking at advertising tracking, so let's take Google ads or Facebook ads. Usually when you click on an ad, there's a parameter being passed along to the website. Uh, the FBCL ID or the G- GCL ID. And it contains a random string, hash string of information. I've never been able to make sense of this from a GDPR perspective. I think this is definitely an identifier, right? That, That could identify a user because it's a unique click on the side of Google. You can actually see within the ads interface, like where that click was generated on what search term for how many cents they click, and then it's being matched on the other side, on the, on the other
1: website. These are also impacted. I think it's going to depend on the parameter. So for example, like if you just put UTM parameters in a URL, it doesn't actually identify the person it identifies the campaign. Yeah. So it's going to be super context dependent on what data those parameters actually have as to if. The different privacy regulation applies. Technically, the only browser I know that does this would be Brave. The Brave browser will actually seek out different parameters such as those and strip them from the URL prior to navigation to the page. Now, Brave also basically blocks everything under the sun, so you're not seeing that data in your analytics anyway, but that is going to cause a Delta between like that's going to be part of that delta that you see between clicks for an ad and like actual sessions.
0: Yeah. And then or Sofa- WebKit has like a proposal on how we could do campaign tracking. Is that correct? Or how we should do it? We have
1: <laughs> private click measurement for WebKit. Then just recently, Firefox and Facebook combined forces to release a alternative version of conversion attribution, then Google had flock killed flock and now has topics. Yeah. So there's a number of different proposals and either we're going to end up in a scenario where each browser has to be tracked differently or eventually they might all agree, but we're still kind of in that will they or won't they phase. And so. All I can say is that it is likely to change in the future how it's going to change I am not able to say at this point
0: Yeah so but basically there's that, pro- there's proposals f- from all sides
1: are they kind of self-serving those proposals or I think in some cases they're more self-serving than others so like if you actually read Google's proposal, and then you read like the electronic frontier foundations critique, of said proposal. It's like, they're getting back way, they're collecting way more information than they'd actually need to do this. Just because they want more bits basically in the token. And so they're like, they could classify everyone unique on the planet, right? Like realistically, like they have that much different possible combinations. Um, Apple is less. Self-serving, I would say, just because like they're like, Yeah, we think that you should be able to tell if your marketing's working, but we don't want you to know necessarily how. And so they actually their proposal injects a time, a randomized time frame. So like let's say you go through a website and you actually check out that conversion won't be reported to the advertiser for some period of time between 24 and 72 hours after that con- transaction has taken place. Now that has, st- now that has a lot of different, you know, conditions to be aware of. Like, did they actually check it out? So that actually took place. Yeah. Okay. Now is the computer going to be online when it would want to send that information? And let's say it is, well, then it would send it, but if not, then it needs to it would be sent the next time it does log in and, become, and like the browser gets opened. But also, I think I remember reading that it was only like the last five transactions would get reported. So there's probably some chance that your transaction wouldn't be in that list. Um, but like that, as I said, the proposal has only been adopted by WebKit at this point. So we could end up facing changes before it gets accepted by other browsers. Alternatively, every browser could just be like, oh, it's every man for himself. And so if you want to track advertising on our browser, you have to do it this way. I don't know. I <laughs>
0: mean, a lot more work for you and me, but I'm not sure if we want that work.
1: <laughs> Indeed. I would rather just have it be one way <laughs> across all the browsers. So it's a lot, yeah. lot easier to bug that way. Definitely. So that's something to, to keep an eye on. What, what are your thoughts? Uh,
0: do you think this is uh, this is like a, a six month thing, a 12 month thing? Well, if.
1: Rave has had their stuff in place for a year and no other browser has blocked that yet. Like no other browser has copied it to do the blocking. So I am skeptical we're going to see that in the near term. As far as like the other proposals, who knows? There was a blog post on February 1st, 2021. So we're over a year now where they introduced the initial explainer for private click measurement. And we still have not seen that roll out to any other browsers. So we're likely looking at the longer time frame here. Yeah. I know that Google will be testing topics this year, but that means that we're probably not going to see a rollout till next year. And that's only if it's successful.
0: If we switch a little bit, we've, we've been talking a lot about web, um, easier to debug also uh, where most of us started our careers. But mobile, of course, has, uh, has a lot of traffic nowadays. For most companies, I think mobile is probably more than 50%. And there's also been a lot of action on on the mobile front. Can you, uh, can you highlight some, some of that?
1: Sure. So the biggest one happened last April, and that was Apple's app tracking transparency framework. And so under their policies that you were theoretically required to comply to, to publish on the app store, and we're not talking law, we're saying this is Apple's view on how their apps on their store need to be designed. Apple's Law. Right. They uh, require, prior to collection for attribution or sharing with other partners, a consent prompt to be displayed to the user that says, do you allow this app, whatever the app may be, to track you across other websites and services? And then the user can say yes or no. In the event the user says no, the ID for advertisers, the IDFA is set to all zeros. And so nothing that would pull it will actually get it. it'll just get a string of zeros. And so it will look like everyone else who said no on its own. Now, if you combine it with other data, you may still be able to identify that particular person, but theoretically I would expect if they say no, that you would not send data to any of the sdks that they opted out of that is the spirit of what the agreement is that one in 15.2 uh ios 15.2 they released the app tracking transparency report that you can open up in settings and you can actually see all the external domains that get called now you don't necessarily know why they're calling said domains but some of them like clearly advertising focused you might Question, hey, should they even be contacting them if I said no? And that opens up the brands who have kind of skated the intention of the, the guidelines to be possibly investigated by Apple, and if found in violation, to possibly have their app pulled from the store until it can be made compliant, all the way up through account termination of their developer account, which means you can no longer publish on the app store. So... What we saw here is in light of this, Facebook and Google both dramatically adjusted their attribution windows for mobile advertising. Like Google, uh, Facebook went down from 20 days down to seven, I think. And there's more restrictions on how many campaigns can be run simultaneously and how long it takes to put them up and take them down and so on. Then in Q3 of last year, we saw the earnings report. Which was like the first quarter that all of these changes had been in place for iOS. And we saw Snap, Pinterest, Facebook, YouTube. And I think there was one other company that's not coming to mind, but they reported a theoretical $10 billion revenue gap between what they were expecting and what they got based largely on the, all the different brands pulling back on advertising on iOS then in the Q4 announcements, while some of those companies had stabilized just because they were able to diversify their revenue streams, Facebook predicted a $10 billion headwind for 2022 in light of different privacy regulation and technical challenges, which brings us to this year, where on April 1st, Google will impose its own consent requirements for various data collection uh, purposes on apps on the Google play store. And they don't have a system prompt like Apple requires. They make you make your own, but they have a bunch of UX requirements that you have to satisfy in order to have it. And then theoretically, if you are in violation of it, you enter their enforcement process with the same outcome that you could potentially not have. Updates allowed for submission until you fix the issue. You could have the app pulled or you could lose access to your account. Well, we saw last year everyone moved to Android in light of the changes. What happens when Android follows suit?
0: And so everybody moved to Android. But I always think that's funny in a sense of consumers didn't move to Android necessarily, like right. But the, you can measure Android, so it's like yeah, yeah. It, but the, and I think this is this speaks to a fallacy, right? That we have like only if we can measure it that we think it is real. But yeah, that that. In this case, you know, that might actually, uh, might actually not be the case. Like the the ads might actually be still be effective on iOS. You're just simply not able to measure them like you were
1: before. Correct. And so the other issue is the the fallacy that an iOS user is equal to an Android user because you can't tell me that someone who goes out and spends $1,500 on an iPhone has the same, like, yes, the Android user who has a $200 budget phone may have the same theoretical buying power. Well, probably not. Yeah. So that also needs to be considered in that the users between the two ecosystems are not the same and it's been proven out iOS users typically spend more money. So now we're seeing theoretically, I mean, I don't know how aggressive Android's going to enforce. Apple has been kind of iffy on enforcement, but I mean, if they started to really come down, it's going to impact the majority of apps on the store, obviously. And according to Google play's announcement, like as of April 1st, it applies to every, every app on the Play store will need to be updated. If it collects personal data as the new policies have been defined.
0: Do you also work with like third party, like att- mobile attribution partners tools like AppsFlyer, uh, stuff
1: like that? I personally don't work a lot with them. Um, I do read a lot of the reports that they publish, but I just don't personally deal with that much, uh, that much in my day to day. From
0: the re- from the reports, where do you get it? Cause I can imagine that this is, uh, not that, <laughs> It doesn't help their business model, so to say.
1: It doesn't. Um, so the reports I saw out a branch indicated like a vast majority of users did not consent to data collection in scenarios where they were presented with that. Um, which, I mean, when you're free, or like the prompt is, do you allow this company to track you elsewhere? And that is the language. I mean, would you expect them to say, sure, go ahead? I don't why know. Would you? Yeah. yeah. I mean, why would you do that? And like, I personally hated getting the prompts all the time, so I just turned it off at the phone level. Yeah, it just automatically declines. And so there's some of that too. It's
0: interesting. For for me, it's I'm trying to look for this balance, right? Because on one end, I agree with what you just said. Like as as a user of a mobile phone and apps, I always, I, when I get these prompts, I'm like, no, of course not. Why would I? You know, what's the incentive for me to share this data, my data via you to another company, like I don't see, you know, that there's no benefit to me on the other end, as a, as a professional in the digital marketing world, I do know that it does allow companies to also provide better digital experience, you know, customize apps, figure out what customers like and don't like how to prioritize features, stuff like that. What are your thoughts on this? Like, how, where are we gonna find? Are we gonna find a balance in it, or are we like overcorrecting now? And are we gonna course back? Or
1: I think probably we're overcorrecting now. But I think the current course it was inevitable based off the different regulations that are getting published around the world, and so we might need to walk some of those back a bit. But I am not sure that that's going to happen in the immediate time frame because law moves slowly. Um, from a technical point of view, this is me personally speaking. I hate getting advertising email. And so if you were asking me to consent to things, so you can send me more email that I don't want to get, then I am always going to say no. With that said, I'm okay with people collecting analytics data for first party purposes, because personally for me. I am strongly against any regulation that says no, because a computer was involved. If a physical store can count the number of users that come into their store, then a website should be able to count the number of visitors that the website gets. But there's also practical reasons for doing so, because you need to know if you need to add more hardware capacity. So you don't go offline on Black Friday due to like excessive demand, for example. And it's a lot harder to estimate that if you have nothing to work from as a baseline.
0: But then for, for those purposes, you know, we could prefer it back to uh, log file
1: analysis, the, the, that type of analytics. You can, however, note that if you're using your log files for marketing purposes, then you probably need consent.
0: <laughs> Anonymized log file analysis.
1: But what truly is anonymous? Yeah. It's, uh, I, like that is constantly being redefined by the courts. And I think yeah. that is an open question.
0: Yeah, it for sure is. If you could give advice to a digital advertising agency, somebody who's, you know, they're, they're working with digital ads constantly, their clients depend on them to deliver results. They've obviously noticed over the last couple of months, years that measuring results has been changing. What would your advice be for people like that, like where to invest their time, where to, infe- where to learn or what to outsource, or perhaps what to let go. Like if you, if you look at the time frame of like 12 to 24 months and you look at how you think browsers are going to continue evolving this, in this landscape. What would be your, what will be your top tips for, um, for digital marketers on the advertising
1: side? From a technical level, you really need to take a look at all the stuff that's happened over the last couple of years and modify the advice that you're giving accordingly, and that could involve updating what your business model is. So like if you're a marketer today and you're constantly going to clients And recommending they install third-party pixels for like remarketing, you really should be aware that you're having a a dramatically reduced reach than what you had five years ago. And maybe at that point you have to decide if it's worth even recommending that, or you're recommending some other sort of integration method instead. Now for marketing agencies that don't have any technical support. Like that is probably something they would want to look at just understanding how all these different proposals are going to change how they have to actually run their business on the more regulatory front here in the United States, California amended its California consumer protection act. And so that's going to begin enforcement on January 1st. And it has redefinition of a lot of different things, including the definition of what constitutes a sale of data. It's been amended to now say sale or sharing so people can technically opt out of data sharing as well under the new the new language we also saw virginia pass a law and that will go into effect on january 1st colorado passed a law and that will go into effect on july 1st and then we're still in the will the governor veto this period but utah tentatively has a law slated to go on the books for december 31st in and 23 and that's just in the united states we also know on the european side This year, all the different DPAs are launching a joint investigation onto the use of cloud platforms. And so depending on what comes out of that, brands that operate internationally may be forced to make changes to how they process data in Europe. Then totally unknown. Will Europe and the United States reach some sort of data transfer agreement? Maybe. And that would totally change what they would need to do. But as these things are currently in like a state of limbo, all I can say is that by 2023, things will look substantially different from today. And then by 2024, they'll look different still. But I think the danger would be assuming nothing is changing and continuing to issue the same advice or marketing strategies, even in light of decreasing effectiveness.
0: But agility is probably something that uh, that will be beneficial to you in the coming 24 months with, uh, with all the changes coming up. Do, do you also see a risk for people looking at this from the advertising side? So they're looking in their advertising tool, whether it's, you know, whether it's Facebook, Google, or some other, some other advertising suite, you see conversions there. And then perhaps you have your analytics suite as well. You see conversions there. Those numbers always, they've never lined up, right? That's basically how these things work, right? Every platform will be greedy. How do you see those dynamics change? And do you think like you already mentioned, look back windows are changing.
1: I think it's going to depend on how everything is installed. So it's going to vary on like a case by case basis, but generally I would think paid media under reports as to its effectiveness. I would think that direct is probably inflated compared to its probable effectiveness from like a, a media perspective. I think as far as advertising reach goes, if you're contextual, you're fine. If you're targeted, you are probably not reaching the audience that you think you're reaching because say you generate an audience in GA, you know, if your IDs are only good for seven days then after that period of time, a large portion of your audience becomes unreachable. So even though they're a member of the audience, they will never appear again for targeting purposes. So that is something to keep in mind. And then with things like mail tracking protection and creating ad hoc email addresses would like hide my email. I can go in to hide my email and delete the mail forwarding. And then it's effectively I've unsubscribed from you, but I haven't told you about that. And so you're going to see people, you might see bounce rates increase. And it's not that you're doing anything wrong. It's just that the user has basically deleted the account rather than unsubscribed from you.
0: Didn't even think of that option. Yeah. Good one.
1: But let's say you're a company that. Is like in exchange for your email address, I am going to give you credit or a bonus or some goodie. But now I can infinitely create email addresses trivially. That might adversely affect your discount expense. Oh. So maybe that is no longer a viable acquisition tactic. Then we should probably talk about IP address a little bit. So in the most recent version of Safari, and this is a Safari specific ability for people who do geo-based targeting by default, anything that's classified as a tracker due to duck, duck goes tracking radar, which is a different list. The IP address is routed through a couple different servers before it actually goes to the destination. And so. The IP address of where you are is not the IP address that the advertiser gets. And I've seen that move me five miles down the road and I've seen that move me four towns over. Mm. So if you're doing things at a zip code level or a very precise level, that is probably not gonna work out well for you. Then if you would deploy something like their private relay, which is available to iCloud plus subscribers, you can actually change that from approximate to course. And when you do that, you appear at some other point in the country slash time zone. And for that, you can move between states. But when that happens, the advertiser thinks you're in a different state potentially, as well as the website, because all the traffic is modified. Yeah. So using IP address for any sort of identification is problematic. And if that's a critical signal for your visitor ID stitching, that is probably a bad plan and you should get reconsider that. And if your security platform looks at IP address to see like, hey, are they coming from where they normally log in? The user might actually end up being challenged more often if they start using these features. Yeah. I've actually seen that myself. I've
0: enabled it and and, and used it. And that's uh, I get a lot more CAPTCHAs uh, to log in everywhere.
1: Right. And so from an analytic perspective, your actual location reporting might be a little bit off depending on like, do they default to approximate or course? And then for targeting, if you're trying to target, like at a zip code level, like you might want to do, if you were, for example, only wanting to send it to people in Los Angeles, yeah, you could have issues with that.
0: So what does? What is the topic that you are most focused on for,
1: for the next 12 months? And what gets you excited in this space? I've been spending a lot of time reviewing all of the regulation and court cases coming out of Europe, just cause I think that's going to have the most impact over the next couple of months. Then as we get into conference season, I'm waiting to see what gets announced at Google IO and Apple's WWDC. And that will help set the stage for the couple of months following that. And then later into the year, I really think I'm going to end up spending a lot of my time helping brands get ready for the state laws going into effect in 23.
0: A nice roadmap for you, uh, for the coming time. Where can people find you online? What, uh, are there any other resources you want to, uh, want to refer to besides, uh, besides measure Slack, obviously that we can
1: link to? They can find me on LinkedIn. Um, I also have a blog that I write a lot about this stuff at uh, cunderwood.dev, and so I can be reached there. And that has links to LinkedIn, Twitter. They can contact me right from there, all the good things. And I'm also on Measure Slack, and you can find me there. Great. Then uh, I want to
0: thank you, and um, hopefully uh, we can record another episode in the future uh, with uh, a lot of updates on these topics.
1: Sure. I enjoyed being here. Thank you for having me. And this is a topic that continually updates as time rolls on and so while i started blogging about it in 2019 i have yet to run out of topics because it literally generates itself
0: no no worries on the content calendar
1: no no worries on the content calendar i just gotta wait a week or two and something else will be announced
0: awesome okay
1: talk to you later yep thank you again for having me